interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this final episode before Christmas 2020, Matt Kelly and I take up the recent use by Stanford Medical Center of algorithms to determine who would receive its allotment of COVID-19 vaccines and how that was received. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for our pre-Christmas last podcast. And today we're going to take up a topic that Matt uh, posted a blog on early this week entitled Lessons on Algorithms, Ethics, and Equity. And it's around the uh, current um, COVID vaccine uh, issues uh, that are floating around the country. And so we're going to take up the topic of Matt's blog post, COVID vaccines, and uh, whatever else we might come up with. So Matt, first of all, with that incredibly long-winded and disjointed introduction, welcome. Uh, Hello, Tom. Uh, Merry Christmas to all of our listeners, and uh, I hope everybody's going to have a good holiday season. So, Matt, uh, why don't you tell us about uh, the blog post and, I guess, what got your interest around uh, algorithms, uh, equity, and how that all applies to the compliance program? So, yeah, this is something that came out of Stanford Medicine, which is the medical school and two healthcare uh, systems operated by Stanford out in the Bay Area, uh, that last week, uh, around December 16 through 18, thereabouts, That is when Stanford was going to start its vaccination program for hospital employees. And uh, apparently what Stanford had done, according to press reports and, spoiler alert, many angry people on Twitter, um, what Stanford had done was use an algorithm to try to decide which of its many, many thousands of employees would be first to get its first dose of vaccines. Um, the algorithm had programmed out a list of 5,000 employees who would be the first ones to get it. They only got 3,900 vaccines um, or doses of vaccines. So this is a scarce resource. But what happened was it quickly became apparent that the algorithm excluded most of the residents who work for Stanford Medicine. And these are the people who, you know, if you watch Grey's Anatomy or Chicago Med or any of those other shows, they're really the backbone of large hospital systems. They're the ones who are receiving patients in the ER. They are taking um, measurements of your vital signs. They are intubating COVID people. Residents are involved in direct care of COVID patients. There are more than 1,300 of them across all Stanford medicine disciplines. And the algorithm decided that out of those 1,300 or so, only seven should be in that line of the first 5,000 to get COVID vaccines. Not 700, seven, the number between six and eight. That was it. Uh, Meanwhile, they also were giving these prized vaccination slots to people such as pathologists who typically would work in a lab or radiologists who could conceivably work from home or attending physicians who uh, these days have been working from home while consulting with the residents 
who are in the hospitals to decide patient care. So this really seemed like a big mismanagement and misallocation of vaccination slots. Uh, the residents were furious. They protested in the lobby of Stanford Hospital. Um, they issued a demand letter to Stanford Medicine's board of directors, which included demands such as a full and specific timeline for all staff vaccination, not just the first 5,000 people who are only going to get 3,900 vaccines anyways, but all of Stanford, uh, including the cafeteria workers and the orderlies and the food service people and the janitors, everybody else. How does this all work? Uh, they wanted transparency into the algorithm that Stanford had used to assign those vaccination slots, um, including, and this is a direct quote that I think is telling, an explanation of what checks were in place to assure that the list was indeed equitable as intended. Uh, and then this was part of a longer running beef that residents have had with Stanford Medicine. So they were also asking for things like a resident gets a seat on Stanford Medicine's board of directors, a monthly meeting between the chief resident and the CEO of Stanford Medical. And so there's this mismatch of confusion about what did this algorithm do? How did it come up with these um, assignment slots, which you know, on the face of it seem to make very little sense? Uh, and also a good question about the oversight of algorithms, which I think is really the bigger lesson for all compliance officers, not just people <laughs> in healthcare who are worried about vaccinations right now. Um, but moreover, we all use algorithms in all sorts of ways in modern technology and modern corporate life. Who oversees the criteria that are programmed in to these algorithms and artificial intelligence as they start to spew out results that we're supposed to follow? Um, so there's all sorts of lessons there, but frankly, it was just a big mess. This was specific to Stanford that I wrote about, but Tom, we should notice this is happening at hospitals all over the country right now. Uh, there were similar protests at Seattle uh, hospitals up in Seattle. Uh, there was another protest here in Boston where Brigham and Women's had another um, semi-fiasco. None of them were quite as flagrant or as eye-catching or popping on Twitter as what happened at Stanford Medicine. But using algorithms in ways that are unclear, that give results that don't seem to make sense, that leave parts of your workforce feeling alienated and left out, that's the compliance lesson that is in all of this. And that's why I wrote about it. The thing that struck me about this blog post really started with the title because you had ethics and you had equity. And I had really not thought of, of those two separate components. But as I read your blog post, I sort of divided it as the ethics was the design and an ethical design, which took into account uh, multiple factors or criteria. But then the equity uh, was what was the result? So even if you did ha have ethics and transparency in the design, was there equity in how it came out at the end? Would, would that be a fair assessment? Well, I think it's more just letting parts of your workforce feel secure and participating in the corporate culture and the organization as you are entrusting more and more of the operations to machines to algorithms, to artificial intelligence. Um, it is correct for Stanford to say 
this is a really difficult task to assign these valuable assets to a limited number of people when we have tens of thousands of employees. And what is the right decision to make when you have a, like I, I had used this example, a healthy white resident in his 20s versus a, who is encountering COVID every day in his job versus a, an attending physician who only comes in once a week, but might be say 66 and diabetic and black, all of which are factors for a higher risk of getting severe COVID if you get it. So who should get the vaccine first? Should it be the one who is probably going to weather the storm better if he or she gets it, or the one who doesn't really have a good chance of getting COVID because they don't come in rarely, but if they get it, like, you know, they're going to really get it. A host of variables that I think many human minds would be taxed to the limit to try and figure out what is the right thing to do. And this is tailor-made for an algorithm, but algorithms do not make decisions. Algorithms crunch numbers based on criteria human beings have to select. Which human beings get to make the selection? That's the question. And that is how equity starts to factor into this. The residents had no idea how this was made. It, on the surface, didn't seem like it made any sense. Only seven of them out of 1,300. I don't know how many hundreds of them have direct exposure to COVID patients, but clearly lots do. Um, so what is the right answer there? I'm not sure. And I'm okay with entrusting algorithms to do the calculations of it. But the calculations are all based on a reflection of the priorities of the organization. And that's where we get to ethical priorities. What is one ethical priority? Making sure employees feel heard and listened to and participating. How do you do that? By bringing them all in and giving them equity. Um, I, I also, you know, I can't help but think, Tom, we're talking about hospitals now, but everybody else who's listening, if you're at a large retailer, if you are at a large, I don't know, manufacturer or something like that, you're going to have to think about this. You know, if states start saying, okay, we're ready to vaccinate essential workers, well, who are you at, at your company? Who is that? Uh, I would be die to know, how is Walmart thinking about this? They employ 2 million people across the world. Which ones of them are going to be essential workers because they're working in stores? Which ones are going to be more senior executives who don't need it, but they might be older executives or you know, they might need the vaccine because they have weak health. This is going to affect a lot of businesses. And how do you get to make those decisions when the state shows up to say, we got a truckload of vaccines, give us your top 10% who are supposed to get it. You're going to have to answer that. So think about how do you make sure this does not veer into a corporate culture ditch, which is just what happened with Stanford and numerous hospitals. Um, I get that this is a transitory type of a problem because, knock on wood, by June or July, there should be 100 million vaccines anyways, and this will be in the past. But it, it really brings out these questions about algorithms running business processes and how do we make sure people aren't intimidated by them or alienated by them. And that's why I think it's so fascinating. You know, Matt, I really saw this as a basic failure by Stanford uh, on on the human side that you can always use a number cruncher. You can always use an algorithm. You can use your your pocket sharp calculator, for that matter, if you want to calculate something. But it has to be applied with a human eye, and part of that human eye is what you what I thought you'd called equity in your uh, blog post. That the the result is not skewed, and even if all of the factors go in, 
if seven out of 1,300 residents uh, are chosen, there's obviously a problem uh, that uh, with the input. I would agree. Um, I mean, the, that's, I think, gets to really the crux of the issue. I don't know if, I, if people heard the tone in my voice. I, I think I agree. It feels like I agree. But these are going to be such complex problems that I'm not entirely sure what the right answer is. Should it have been all 1,300? Should it have been 500? Should it have been every single one who's in the respiratory wing or the ER, but not in, I don't know, some other practice? Um, I don't know what the answer would be. I don't think, Tom, you or I could make any intelligent guess for most organizations. Everybody's going to have to do that on their own. But think about who are we putting into the room to figure out okay, this is what we're going to consider important as we define essential, as we define high risk, as we define low risk, and we're all in agreement on this. Um, This is not a compliance challenge like, say, who are we going to define as a high-risk third agent, a third-party agent overseas? Like, the law dictates a lot of what your risk is going to be there, and the compliance and legal counsel have a lot more weight in defining that even if sales says, well, I don't think, I think you're wrong. I think this makes no sense. Well, guess what, guys? The law is the law. You're going to have to live with that. This is not that sort of a challenge. This is going to be a very human challenge that is going to eventually face all of us because hopefully the vast majority of humans will get vaccinated within the next year or two. Um, so we're really going to have to think much harder about bringing different types of voices into the room to make sure that we get these pre-programming decisions right before the algorithm then goes off like a shot and spews out numbers that Lord knows what they're going to give us. Um, I think that this demonstrates that, you know, if you get the algorithm wrong, you're going to get it really wrong. So it is really incumbent on you to make sure that you get the pre-programmed criteria right before, like I said, you go in a corporate culture ditch. That's, it's not a fun experience for anybody. Matt, let me ask you if, if we could maybe pivot a moment, because we had an announcement last week from the EEOC that uh, they said uh, employers could, they're not mandated to, but they can require employees to uh, get a COVID-19 vaccination before they return uh, to work at the office. And I was been mulling that over from the compliance perspective and and wanted to get maybe your thoughts on what are some of the compliance issues that you would see around this? And maybe uh, explore that a little bit. Uh, yeah, I saw that. And so I, I think that, you know, well, number one, this should not surprise anybody because that has been existing law for a while that you can mandate a vaccine to your workforce uh, as part of your obligation to provide a safe work environment. Um, you know, you, so I do think that nobody should be surprised by that. The question is going to be how much are you, the corporation, really going to decide we're going to enforce this? We are going to require vaccines. Um, Yeah, This is a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, I think, for a lot of businesses, because if you do not require it, could a employee who is pro-vaccine but hasn't been vaccinated yet contract an illness from somebody who is anti-vaccine and did not get vaccinated and brought COVID into the office? Um, and then could you, or the company, wind up getting sued for allowing an unsafe work uh, condition? I, 
I'm going to guess somebody somewhere would try to sue a company over that because this is America and that's what we do. Uh, so you have a litigation mess that way. Um, it is a really difficult corporate culture um, issue to force this. It smacks to me of sort of like a beatings will continue until morale improves. You know, we're going to vaccinate. And if you don't like it, there's the door. Uh, that's a very harsh, uncompromising attitude. Personally, I don't have any qualms about that. Like, imagine if you are a hospital and you decide, no, you're not going to require vaccines for people who are working in close proximity to COVID patients or do immunocompromised patients who might then get the the virus from your employee. So, you know, I don't think I have a good answer there. I do think that it's going to be a stressful, stressful situation for at least the first six months of 2021. Um, as some of your employees, especially for large organizations, they're just, they're not going to want to do it. They're not going to trust the vaccine. They're going to internal report some people who say they did get vaccinated according to policy, but they're lying about it. Or I heard this one here sounds like an anti-vaxxer nut. Um, you're going to have other people who are saying, and Tom, I think I mentioned this before, you know, I have an acquaintance who is absolutely certain this is a effort by the government to manipulate your DNA for mind control and, I am astounded that this person I know would be that unintelligent, but they're out there and they're in your workforce too, listeners. Um, so you're going to have to think about what are our disciplinary protocols? What are our investigation protocols? How are you going to collect this information and keep it private? Because it is going to be personally identifiable health information anyway. So you have HIPAA concerns and other privacy concerns, especially if you work in Europe. Um, you know, there's a dozen different ways. This is going to be a really difficult process, certainly for the first half of 2021, probably for all year and into the following year. I don't know if that answers your question, Tom, because all I feel like I've said is this is going to be a big mess and nobody knows what to do. But I'm pretty sure that's an accurate description of things right now. What rights does a person who is vaccinated and goes back to the office have to know if the working environment is unsafe because of one or more multiple persons uh, refusing to get vaccines? Again, I don't know. Um, my first thought would be once you are vaccinated, then presumably the question who cares would be rise way, way up in your mind because if you're vaccinated, you are most likely not going to get it or get it so weakly that it will be asymptomatic and you won't know about it. So my attitude is very much like once I get vaccinated, like, okay, that's me. I'm not worried about myself anymore. Everybody else, you kind of, you want to go and get COVID because you're an idiot like that? Knock yourself out, pal. Um, on the other hand, for the first six months or so when we will want vaccines, but we're not getting them and some coworkers might have the chance to get it, but they're not getting it. Uh, I think that would leave a lot of people dismayed. Um, so I like a lot of this is going to hinge on very specific legal standards. It's going to, I think, vary by state. Um, Tom, you and I were discussing by, before we started recording that there are certain states that um, have very loose standards about when you can and can't require somebody to get vaccinated. And what if the state law is in um, contrary to what the EEOC and federal law says? And I know federal law preempts. And again, in the here and now, that's not going to stop people from calling up to complain about so-and-so did this or I disagree with that policy. So 
in many ways for compliance officers and HR people and policy management gurus, like this is going to be a thicket of stress trying to unravel this. Um, and I, I'm only really talking about just the United States. I don't even want to get into how do you square us with Europe and Canada and the rest and the rest of the world. This is going to be a, an enormous policy management challenge. Matt, that sounds like a good place to uh, uh, for us to end this uh, podcast. Uh, I would like to echo what you started with uh, for our listeners to um, please have a, a great holiday season, a Merry Christmas, and a safe one as well. And I look forward to, to uh, what we come up with next time. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Also, check out the show notes where I have additional resources available in forms of blog posts written by Matt or myself. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.